But there's a group of with us today, the Kings, who have been a part of our church family for many years. I'm going to let Daniel King share that a little bit. But um, do you know that this couple has been involved in and responsible for seeing two million people come to Jesus Christ over the course of their ministry? And so we're, we're very excited that you guys, after three years away because of COVID, not being able to visit, you finally were able to come back, and we're so excited. Daniel has just an incredible word from God we heard in the first service, and I know we're going to hear it again today. So why don't you welcome Daniel King as he comes. Thank you. We're going to pray for you, brother, just because we like to. I'm so grateful that Canada let us back in. I know. I understand. There's been restraints and restrictions, but we're overcoming. Amen? Why don't you stretch your hand forward because uh, we want to just bless Daniel as uh, he brings the Word of God. Father, thank you for Daniel and, and for Jessica and for the family. Lord, we bless them. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive and to respond to your Word today. That's a powerful Word to touch the hearts of everyone gathered here and those watching online, Father God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, give it up for Daniel. Thank you. Hey, it is wonderful to be here with you this morning. I'm Daniel King, and I'd like to introduce my family. This is my beautiful wife, Jessica King. And Jessica graduated from the school here, grew up here in Moorville. She's the daughter of, of Kenneth and Mei-Ling Shen. And uh, I met her in the middle of Africa, right on the border of Rwanda and Congo. And we uh, were interested in each other. And uh, a couple of years later, I came here to meet her family, and we actually got engaged at a service here at the Father's house on Christmas Eve. And uh, so now we've been married 15 years, and we've got two kids. This is my son, Caleb. Uh, everyone say, hi, Caleb. And this is my daughter, Katie Grace. And so Caleb has been growing a lot, like in the last three months, and now he claims he's taller than me. I'm not quite sure if that's true. But uh, I'm going to have to stop feeding him so much food because he keeps getting taller and taller. So, well, we are missionary evangelists, and we love going around the world telling people about Jesus. Uh, Jessica and I have been to over 70 nations preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Greg said, we've seen over 2 million people come to Jesus in our services. And I've known that I was called to be an evangelist ever since I was five years old. I actually got saved at a, a very young age, uh, maybe at three or four. I, I don't remember the exact day, but I just know that before I got saved, I used to crawl around with the wrong crowd, and uh, I, I, used to do, I used to disobey my mom all the time, and, and, uh, but then Jesus saved me, and praise God, uh, now I am serving the Lord. And uh, when I was five years old, my father pastored a, a small church up in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, down in the United States. And one day he invited a prophetess to come to church. And uh, a prophetess is this woman who functioned in the gift of prophecy. And so the night before, God woke her up and said, tomorrow in church there's going to be someone wearing a blue shirt. And you are to prophesy that this person wearing a blue shirt is called to be an evangelist and go to the nations around the world. And so she came to church the next day, looked around. No one was wearing a blue shirt. And she remembered that the kids' workers were downstairs. And so she asked my dad to bring them up, hoping one of them would wear a blue shirt. 
but none of them did. But there was this long line of kids, and at the end of the line was this cute little five-year-old boy wearing a blue shirt. And she said, God, is this the one? And God said, yes. And so that cute little boy was me, and I'm wearing the same blue shirt this morning. No, I'm, <laughs> that's not true. But uh, uh, she prophesied over me that day and, and said, you're called to be an evangelist and you're called to go to nations all over the world and tell people about Jesus. Now, of course, as a, a five-year-old, I didn't really know what an evangelist was. Later, uh, someone told me that an evangelist is someone who preaches good news about Jesus. And so I've been trying to learn as much as I can about evangelism, about what an evangelist does. And I found that uh, in the Bible, there's only one person who is specifically called an evangelist. Now, I think that God actually calls all of us to the ministry of evangelism. All of us are supposed to share the good news. The, the Great Commission in Mark 16, 15, which says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I think that's a command to every single disciple. But, uh, you know, the, the special calling as an evangelist, I, I started to, to study it, and eventually I, I even went to the university and, and got my doctorate learning about what it means to be an evangelist. But I found that the only person in the whole Bible who's specifically called an evangelist is a man named Philip. And so this morning I'd like to, to talk a little bit about Philip the evangelist. And through looking at his story, we're going to find out how Jesus changes everything. I want everyone to look at the person next to you and say, Jesus changes everything. Come on, look at the person on the other side and said, Jesus can even change you. <laughs> you know, last week for Canada Day, Pastor Greg was talking about how we need to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus as our friend. We need to see Jesus as our Savior. We need to see Jesus as our Lord. And the reason we need to see Jesus is because Jesus changes everything. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus can change an individual's life, how Jesus can change a city, and how Jesus can even change an entire nation. All right, so Philip the Evangelist, his, his story begins over in Acts chapter 21. And in Acts 21, uh, the Apostle Paul is traveling back towards Jerusalem, and he stops for a night in Caesarea. And so Acts 21, verse 8 and 9, it says, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now Caesarea was a port city, it was right beside the ocean, and it was a, a city dedicated to, to Caesar, uh, the emperor, and like any port city, all the sailors came in. It was full of uh, sailors who were doing what sailors do. They were probably sinning every day. There were several temples in that city. They were worshiping false gods. But I think it's very significant that Philip the evangelist had four unmarried daughters, uh, the, the word is actually the virgin daughters, who prophesied. 
And so in the midst of a very sinful city, it's so cool that his entire family is serving God with him. And so I'm a big believer that God does not just call an individual, he calls an entire family. And so God's anointing that's on my life is not just on me, it's also on my wife and it's on my kids. And so we're training our kids up in the ministry. Both of them are learning to play piano and and in the Last service, my son was taking pictures because as an evangelist, I always need lots of pictures and stuff. And so, so we're training our kids to be involved in the ministry. And so here, Philip is, his whole family is, is serving the Lord. But his story really begins in Acts chapter 6. And so let's look at kind of how the ministry of Philip the evangelist began. Because in the beginning of his ministry, he, he wasn't an evangelist. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so, just like Pastor Greg has recently been talking about this new ministry called Five Lobes, where we're going to grow food and help feed one another. So the, the church back then was doing the same thing. So, so uh, Pastor Greg's doing the same thing they did in the back, book of Acts. How many think that's, that's a good idea to, to do what they did back in the church back in those days? And, and so here they are. And so apparently there was one group of women that weren't getting as much food as the other group of widows. And, and so they, they started looking for a solution. And so it says, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn over this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip. And so Philip was appointed as one of this group of seven men whose job was to help to collect the food and organize giving out the food and making sure that everyone was fed. So in the beginning of his ministry, he was not an evangelist. He actually found a place to serve. He was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of wisdom, and he was willing to do whatever it took to stay close to what God was doing. And so when they said, we need some volunteers to help serve in the house of God, he raised his hand and said, oh, pick me, pick me. He says, I want to be one of those who serves. And really, I think that every ministry begins in a place of servanthood. Sometimes people look at the evangelist and they say, oh, man, that looks cool. You know, you get to minister to, to thousands of people, but... And, and that's exciting and everything, but God is really looking for someone who is willing to help serve the needs of one. And then as we look for our place of servanthood, then God is able to begin to promote us and take us to another level of ministry and then another level of ministry. And so Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus said, the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And so that's why I'm so excited about this, this five loaves ministry, because can you imagine if we get some, some young people who are involved in helping to, to grow food or to serve food, going back in the kitchen and, and chopping up vegetables? You know, God could use those young people to reach people around the world. How many think that's possible? 
Yeah, it's possible. And, and it all begins with just finding a place to serve in the house of God. And so God is looking for someone who has the heart of a servant. Come on, how many of you have the heart of a servant? Just wave your hand at me if you have the heart of a servant. Amen. All right, so then a couple of chapters later, persecution breaks out against the church. And the Christians, they scatter all over the place. And Philip goes to Samaria. And he begins to preach in Samaria. Let's look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. He goes down and he begins preaching about Jesus. And this is one of the signs of a true evangelist. A true evangelist preaches about Jesus everywhere he goes. Now, in the body of Christ today, there's different people that say that they're evangelists, and, and sometimes you listen to them, and, and sometimes they talk about um, money. Sometimes they talk about how to have a happy marriage, and that's all wonderful. But I think if you really want to identify who is a true evangelist, an evangelist is going to preach about Jesus. And so he's preaching about Christ there. And it says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And so this is what happens when Christ is preached. The, the evangelists went there, and there were multitudes, there were miracles, demons were cast out, and there was great joy in the city. And so that is what we have modeled our ministry on. We want our ministry to be just like this ministry of the New Testament evangelists, we go to cities where there's not very many churches, sometimes where there's people from many different religions, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, and we go and preach about Jesus. And then we say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that healed people 2,000 years ago is alive today and has the ability to heal people today. And it's so amazing because people put their trust and faith in Jesus, and Jesus does miracles. And we see so many miracles. Uh, we were in Ethiopia and, and recently, and we, we saw God do tremendous miracles. I'm going to show you a video of that in just a second. We, we, we also see God set people free from demons. I remember uh, one time my wife and I went to Uganda, and there was a woman who was demon-possessed. She had been full of demons for five years, and she was crazy. They couldn't control her, and they didn't know what to do for her, and, and so they actually took chains, and they, they put a chain around her feet, and she walked like this, and right before the service started, they asked me to come and to pray for this woman, and, and uh, so I went over and, and prayed for her, and she had like six strong guys that were trying to hold her down because she was fighting. And as I prayed for her, she, she threw these, these six guys off of her and she 
she rushed over to the sound system and started trying to pull all the microphone cords out of the sound system. And so, it, you know, it was definitely the devil because it's the devil who's trying to keep us from preaching the gospel. And, and so I got up to preach and I was feeling so bad. I was like, man, I prayed for that woman and nothing happened. Like she even started pulling. And so as I, I was preaching, I was feeling bad because I wasn't able to cast the demon out of this woman before the service started. And, and, and then I gave the altar call. And at the altar call, I asked everyone who wanted to give their life to Jesus to raise their hand, and this woman raised her hand, and, and when she prayed with us to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior, instantly all the demons left her, and she came back the next day to our pastor's conference, and I didn't even recognize her. She had a beautiful dress on, her hair was all fixed, she had a beautiful smile on her face, they had cut the chains off her legs, and we have a picture of her sitting there with Jessica talking to her in her normal mind. And so that's the power of the gospel. That's what Jesus does. Jesus sets people free. And then we always see great joy fill the city. And so I'd like to take you with me on a missions trip to Ethiopia. This was recently in the month of March. And uh, we saw God do tremendous miracles in a city called Ambo in Ethiopia. And I'm, I really want to show you this video as a way to say thank you to this church because for many years now, uh, the Father's House has been very faithful in supporting our ministry and helping us go to different nations around the world. Uh, this, this church has supported me ever since I got married. And even before I got married, they were supporting Jessica 22 years, she says. This church has supported us for 22 years. Isn't that amazing? Thank God for a faithful church. Thank God for faithful people in the church that allow that to happen. And, and so you guys have a part of the success of this is, is credited to your account in heaven. So let's watch this video from Ethiopia. Welcome to Ethiopia, a nation with beautiful people, delicious food, and an intriguing culture. On this trip, we headed to the city of Ambo to tell people about Jesus. On our first night, we hosted a friendship dinner for leaders from many different religions, animists, Ethiopian Orthodox, Roman Catholics, Evangelical pastors, and Muslims were in attendance. And at the end, I shared the gospel with this diverse group. Advertising covered the city, but would the people come? On the first afternoon, we had a small crowd, and I asked God to do a miracle. There was a crippled woman who came for prayer. At first, her legs were weak, but God strengthened her body, and she started to dance. The crowd rejoiced with her. As news of the first night's miracle spread, the size of the crowd increased. Jesus touched the people, and each night we witnessed many miracles. Each morning, we hosted a leadership conference in order to train the local pastors in evangelism. By putting tools in the hands of the pastors, we can prepare them to follow up on new believers. 
preached a crystal clear salvation message. And when I asked the people to raise their hands if they wanted Jesus to forgive their sins, thousands responded. I rejoice because every one of these souls will now be with us in heaven. Every one of these people are precious in the eyes of God. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. By the final day of the crusade, great joy filled the city of Ambo. Thank you for helping us tell people about Jesus. We cannot do these outreaches without your help. Can you give a financial gift today to help us rescue more people from hell? Please visit kingministries.com and become a monthly partner with us as we go to the farthest corners of the earth to reach the lost. What God does around the world. Uh, and if you'd like to hear more stories about what God has been doing in the last few years, we are going to have a banquet on August the 5th, and we would like to invite you to come as our special guest. And so it doesn't cost you anything, but we'd love for you to come, and we want to tell you stories, amazing stories of what God is doing. And so right after the service, if you'll go to my book table right out there uh, where I have some different books that I've written. Just come by the book table and we will give you your invitation to come on August 5th to our banquet and we'd love to have you there as our guest. You know what's amazing about the nation of Ethiopia is that the Christians there trace their spiritual heritage all the way back to the ministry of the first evangelist, Philip the Evangelist. And it's when Philip encountered an Ethiopian eunuch. And so the story is found here in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now imagine how Philip must have felt when God told him to go down to the desert road. Here he is. He's in Samaria. Thousands of people are being ministered to. There's multitudes. There's all of these miracles. People are being baptized. It's amazing what God is doing in Samaria. And it's very successful what's happening there. And God tells them to leave Samaria and go down to the desert road. And you can imagine Philip saying, God, it's hot on the desert road. Why, why do you want me to go down on the desert road? No one's on the desert road. No one uses that road anymore, God. Here I am. I'm in Samaria. Lots of people are being saved. Why do you want me to go down to the desert road? But how many of you know when God speaks, we need to obey, even if it doesn't make sense right away to our, our human minds? And, and so God spoke to him and said, and so he's an obedient minister. So, so he goes, and uh, it says, so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up 
and sit with him. Now, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was a, a very important man. He was in charge of all the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia. And historically, the Ethiopians claimed that their knowledge of Yahweh, the God of Israel, goes all the way back to when the queen of Sheba visited King David in Jerusalem and asked him lots of questions, was amazed at his wisdom, and she took knowledge of Yahweh back to Ethiopia. And so this Ethiopian, he had heard about Yahweh, the God of Israel. He says, I want to go and worship God. He had this, this hunger, this desire in his heart to go and to worship the one true God. So he travels all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now it's about that far on a map, but if you're walking or riding a chariot, it is a long distance. It takes a long time to get that far. So he travels all this way and he gets to Jerusalem and he's going up to the temple and he wants to worship God, but when he arrives at the temple, he discovers that there's a problem. There are barriers that are preventing him from entering the temple. And, and so the historic temple back then, they had a, uh, an area for the Gentiles. It was called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was outside the walls of the temple. And then you go inside the walls of the temple, they had a court for women. And then, if you go further in, they had a court for Israelites. Then they had a holy place, or th actually, then they had a court for priests. Then they had a holy place, and then they had a holy of holies. And, and so the Gentiles were kept way outside. They were kept in the court of the Gentiles, and they had marble barriers. We know this from the writings of Josephus, who was a, a Jew from back then. And they had these marble barriers that prevented Gentiles from going in. And they've actually discovered archaeological proof. There, there is a, a piece of marble that they've discovered that it says, no Gentiles may enter past this point upon pain of death. And so they're saying, we will kill you if you go past this point. And they, we still have those, those marble uh, pieces of, 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 of signs. And this goes all the way back to the law in Deuteronomy, which spoke directly to the condition of this Ethiopian eunuch. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. So this is the law of Moses. This is the law that is meant to keep everything holy. But listen to this. It says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of God. And so this man is a eunuch. Do I need to explain what a eunuch is? Does everybody know? I mean, a man who's been cut off, okay? Yeah. And, and so it says, so this man, he's flawed. He has something wrong with him. He's imperfect. And because he's imperfect, the law says you cannot enter into the temple. And then look at the next verse. It says, no one born of a foreign marriage, nor any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even down to the 10th generation. And so this man has two strikes against him. Not only is he imperfect, he's also a foreigner. He's a Gentile. 
He's not allowed to go past this barrier that prevents people from going into the temple. So imagine his disappointment. He came from such a long distance away, traveled many days and maybe even months to get there, and he arrives at the temple ready to worship God, and they say, no, the door is closed, there's no place for you, you cannot enter into the house of God to worship God. Just imagine his disappointment. But still, he has this hunger for God. So he goes and he buys a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Now, back then, scrolls were very precious because someone had to sit and carefully write out by hand the entire scroll, the entire book. And it could take a long time to write. In fact, one of the scrolls of Isaiah would cost about the cost of a, a normal man's wages for an entire year. And, and so I don't know what, a, what, what would be a good typical wage for someone for a year of, of labor here in Canada. Maybe $60,000, you know. So you can imagine paying like $60,000, $70,000 for this scroll. And he's opening up and he's reading it, but he doesn't understand it. And God knew who this man was, knew which direction he would be traveling, knew he would be on the desert road, and sends Philip over to the desert road to meet this man and to say, do you understand what you're reading? He says, I don't know. How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he hops up in the chariot and says, I'll explain it to you. And so look at verse 32. It says, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And so, again, we see that Philip is talking about Jesus. You know, a good evangelist, it doesn't matter which scripture he starts out with in the Bible, he gets to Jesus just as quickly as he possibly can. And, and so we, you know, we can start out in the law, in Deuteronomy, and, and, and get to Jesus. And let me tell you how that reveals Jesus, you know. In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. The whole book points to Jesus. And so here he is, Isaiah 53 is the great chapter that talks about Jesus and what he accomplishes at the cross. Oh, I, I just love reading through Isaiah chapter 53. There, there's so many wonderful scriptures in there. It says, He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. This is talking about what Jesus accomplished at the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep that have gone astray, but Jesus, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. So all these beautiful scriptures, and so you can imagine Philip there talking to the Ethiopian, telling him about Jesus and how Messiah the, had come and had fulfilled the old covenant and made the old law obsolete. And so he starts in Isaiah 53, 
But then I think he continued to read the book of Isaiah. And, and so back then, the readers of the New Testament would have been very familiar with Old Testament Scripture. And so when they quote a Scripture from the Old Testament in the New Testament, is not meant to just be that quote. It's meant to bring to mind that entire passage and the whole context of what's happening there. And so he quotes from Isaiah 53, but I think Philip continued talking until he got to Isaiah chapter 56. And in Isaiah chapter 56, we discover a wonderful prophecy of what would happen after Jesus pays the price for our sins. Let's look at Isaiah 56, verse 3. Now, this is a prophecy about what is going to happen after the Messiah comes. It says, let no foreigner... How many think the Ethiopian's ears perked up when he says, when he heard the word foreigner? He said, I'm a foreigner. He says, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And not let any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what please me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. You remember what a eunuch is? He's been cut off. He says they will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and all who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, for everyone. And so this gives such wonderful meaning when the Ethiopian eunuch looks at Philip and says, is there anything stopping me from being baptized? And Philip says, no, there's nothing that can stop you from having a relationship with God. And he says, I want to get baptized right now. And just then, they're, they're driving in the chariot past a little pond of water. Now, how many know it's a, it's a miracle to find a pond of water on the desert road? They're, they're just driving by, and he says, can I be baptized right now? He says, yes. And so Philip gets out of the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch, they go down into the water, he baptizes him, and that Ethiopian became the first Christian from Ethiopia. And history tells us he goes back to Ethiopia, tells everyone about Jesus, and ever since they have claimed that they are a Christian nation. All because this man was obedient. He went down to the desert road. But the amazing thing is, is that, that Jesus changes everything. This man who was kept out of the temple, he says, you are imperfect. You are unwanted. There is no place for you. Then Jesus comes. And it says, even the foreigner, there's a place for the foreigner. 
even the eunuch. There's a place for somebody who's imperfect. There is a place for you. You don't have to be excluded anymore. You can be included. You don't have to be unwelcome anymore. You can be welcome. There is a place for you because God's house is called to be a house of prayer for all nations. Everyone is welcome. And so Jesus takes people who are unwanted and makes them wanted. Jesus takes people that are excluded and he says, you are included. Jesus takes people who are unwelcome and says, welcome to the family of God. Jesus changes everything. And it's all because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross Jesus died to pay the price for our sins because in some ways each one of us is, is just like this Ethiopian. Each one of us is imperfect. We're maimed on, in some way on the inside. Every single one of us, we've made mistakes, we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've been cut off from God's presence. But Jesus, He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. After three days, Jesus rose from the dead, and today Jesus is alive, and he is ready to forgive anyone. He's ready to make a place for everyone. There's nothing that can stop you from coming into the presence of God. If you want to come into the presence of God, there is a place for you, and God is standing there. Jesus is standing there with open arms and saying, you are welcome. You see, religion sometimes draws lines of separation. They say, these people are included, but these people aren't. You know, there's a place for the Gentiles, and there's a place for the women, and then there's a place for the priests, and then the super special high priest, he gets to go into the holy holies. But this is what Jesus says. He says, every single one of you are welcome into the holy of holies. You can come into God's presence any day you want to come into his presence. There's a, a place for you. See, religion draws lines of separation, but Jesus draws circles of inclusion. He makes a place for everyone. He makes a place for you. Even you. Come on, look at the person next to you and say, even you. Jesus loves you. Yeah, even if you're imperfect, even if, if some people have told you you're unwanted or unwelcome, yeah, even you. Jesus loves you. And Jesus draws a big circle around you and said, you are included. You can be part of my family. And so that's what God has called this church to be, a house of prayer for all nations, a house of prayer for all people. None are excluded. All are included, even those who are imperfect, even those who maybe don't measure up to what society has its standards set for. There's a place for you. Hallelujah. Jesus changes everything. Can everyone say hallelujah? Now I want to give two altar calls this morning. The, the first thing I'd like to pray for is, is those who are here and maybe you have felt excluded in some way. Maybe you feel imperfect. You've done things that are wrong and, and you haven't felt like, like you have come fully into the family of God. And today, Jesus wants to say to you, you are welcome, you are included. And so this morning, if, if, if you've been feeling like you were excluded, but you want to be included in the family,
family. Just lift up your hand. Just wave your hand at me, and I want to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there is a place for you. You are welcome in the house of God. Jesus loves you. He died for you. So let's all pray together. I'd like to everyone to, to say this prayer with me. Everyone together. To say, Dear God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. I cry out to Jesus. I cry out to Jesus. Jesus save me. Jesus save me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus, thank you for making a place for me. Jesus, thank you for making a place for to me. To be included in the family of God. To be included in the family of in God. In Jesus' name. The second thing I'd like to pray for is those of you who you would like to be more like Philip and be used by God to bring other people to Jesus. And sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes we don't know what to say. Sometimes people can be shy. But you know, God wants to use every single one of us to reach out to others and to help them to feel included in the kingdom of God, to help them find their place in the family of God. And so if you would like God to, to use you in a greater way to bring others to Jesus, just wave your hand at me. You want to be used by God to bring others to Jesus in a greater way. Yeah, and I'm going to pray that uh, the anointing for evangelism that was on Philip, the anointing for evangelism that is on my life, would come and rest upon your life in the same way. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here who wants to be like Philip. They want to lead people to Jesus. Whether it's an entire city or just one individual, we want to help make a difference in the lives of the people that we encounter. Father, I pray that you would give us the boldness to be a witness. Put your words in our mouths so that we know what to say when people have questions about God. Lord, help us to be obedient to your spirit that when you would say to us, I want you to go down by the desert road, that, that we would be obedient to go where you send us to go and to, to do what you send us to do, Father. Father, I pray that this church would be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. That this place would be a, a welcoming place where, where everyone can come and, and find Jesus. Lord, we thank you that Jesus changes everything. We thank you that we are welcomed in the house of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.